0: Uh, let's turn to Hebrews, and we're going to look at chapter 12, and we're going to read verse 26. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, and we're going to read just together till verse 29. Hebrews 12:26 through 29. And I really feel like God is, there's this under, this invisible kind of momentum that um, I'm feeling uh, in our midst, and just in the last few weeks. I just sense, like, what you were saying, Jeff, like okay, there's no, this, I that, so. yeah, I just feel like there's something that's happening, and at least in my heart, and I think that when God, before God does great moves, there's things that happen on the invisible level. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yes. And let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, before I start preaching about that. Hebrews 12, verse 26, at that time, his voice, and he's referring to Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 19, at that time his voice shook the earth but now he has promised yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens not only the earth but the heavens okay not the cosmos not the universe not the planets but the in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 where the principalities and the powers of this world lie these invisible demonic powers as well as the angelic host of heaven, I will shake also the heavens. Verse 27. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. Okay. That is things that have been made, made, the physical world that we live in, the shaken, those things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Verse 28. Therefore let us be grateful with, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming Father. We thank you, God, for just the power of your word. And that's why we're here this morning. We're just here for your word, for Christ. We're here to focus on you and worship and now on our attention on your word. Bless these words in Jesus' precious name. Amen. While you're sitting down, let's look at Acts chapter 4, and um, this is the fifth on a Fifth message on a series that we're doing on uh, that's starting in April about risen indeed, and I thought we were done last week, but you never know. God think God has this way of doing things, and um, I wanted to add this and maybe one more message. We'll see how this goes. But Acts chapter four verse twenty three talks about the beginning, this the kickoff of the new church, the church of Christ, the. Uh, the new church we see in acts chapter 2 the holy spirit descends there are the cloven tongues of fire there is this incredible speaking and preaching of the gospel in foreign languages and maybe at some point what we'll do is we'll do we'll talk about that chapter in the future but i want to look at acts chapter 4 verse 23 and i want us to look at these verses together and what's happening here is in acts chapter 3 so acts chapter 2 happens all these people are added to the church As the Lord will. And I like how that is. God adds people to the church. It's not a marketing strategy predominantly. We're not here to market people to come to our church. (laughs) If we were to do that, there's a lot of competition. God adds people as he will. And as God is adding people to the church, there's a great move of God going on. There's an incredible move of God. And this week I was thinking, what is a move of God? What does that look like? And as God is adding to the church, Acts Acts chapter 3 happens... In Acts chapter 3, as we see a lame man that was lame from birth is actually healed. Peter, on the way, they're on the way to prayer. You know, having a divine schedule in your life makes God available to do miracles unexpectedly. When we plan things with God by faith, God is free to do things. If there's no plan, then God, God could do something spontaneously. But here James and here's Peter on his way with the others, and they're on their way to pray. I love that, on the way to prayer. And as they're on their way to pray... Peter sees this lame man, an amazing story, and I'd love to preach about that today, but I'm not. Acts chapter 3, he, he is healed, he's raised up, and there's this big, incredible spectacle that's going on in Jerusalem at the temple. And, and Peter at, the, at takes the opportunity, what does he do? Preach, he preaches. And we always see miracle and then preaching. We always see the word of God just being blasted out, the gospel, Because now is this incredible message that was not suppressed, but was hidden until Christ was resurrected. And so then they are arrested. They are arrested in in Acts chapter 4 in the first few verses. They are arrested. They're taken in by the chief priests, the elders, and by the Sadducees. And these were intimidating people. I don't know what kind of people intimidate you, but these were. Here is Peter, probably a low-grade education and sometimes people that don't have a lot of education or don't have a lot of resources in their life or grow up in poverty can be easily intimidated by big personalities, by, by the big positions, you know what I'm saying? By the people that have it all together. And that can be very intimidating. So here's Peter brought in, and, and he is given a chance to speak about what just happened. It's funny how the whole religious system misses the whole thing. God is on the move, and they are just worried about their structure and their rules and their laws and so they they come back out Peter comes back out and he returns to his people it says and in verse 23 verses through 34 I'm not going to read it all here to you but the scene is is that they come back they explain to their people the body back they're back at the place of meeting and they're saying this just happened and then we see all the church begin to pray together and when you read this prayer there's like four things that they're saying and I'm wondering how that prayer meeting looks you know, they all prayed together. Were they all reciting the same prayer? Were they all saying the exact same words? I don't think so. I think it was a corporate prayer meeting where different people were praying different principles and different things that were on the heart of God. And that's what prayer is, by the way. It's just communing with what God's will is. Hearing from God, surrendering, as we, as we sang earlier, surrendering all of our stuff at the cross and hearing from God, getting in tuned into what God's will is. And then they begin to pray. And, and the prayer is incredible. They're saying, Oh, sovereign Lord. Okay? <laughs> I wanted to crack a joke there, but I'm not. <laughs> oh, sovereign Lord. They were all Calvinists. <laughs> I'm, I'm only kidding. I'm just joking. I'm joking with that. I believe in the sovereignty of God. They said, Oh, sovereign Lord. And they say four things, okay? Oh, Lord, consider their threats. Now listen to the passion of their prayer, okay? Oh, Lord, consider their threats. And then they say, enable your servants, right? You see a lot of passion and power in this prayer. And then number three, help us to preach the word with boldness, right? Stretch out your hand. The fourth thing is, and, and stretch out your hand to what? To heal, to perform miraculous signs and wonders. What a prayer. My gosh, it's an incredible prayer. Wow. And is God going to answer that prayer? Yes, he is. But how does God respond to that? How does God respond to that prayer? I mean, that would be a prayer that we'd be like, man, this is the, the church has just kicked off and God's just going to blow this whole thing up. What does God do? Well, first thing I want to just say here this morning is how do we define a move of God? How do we define God on the move? God. How do we do that? Like, how is God moving in your life? How do we measure that? Can I ask you guys that? Like, How is God moving in your life? When we think about the powerful presence of God, the mighty work of God, or the powerful voice of God that we read about in Hebrews chapter 12, What's coming to our minds? What comes to our minds? And what kind of results are they? And what kind of response does God give to their prayers? How is God going to answer that prayer? I know some of you that have read these verses already know how this is going to go. I think when we look at verse 31, we're going to say they were filled with the Spirit, right? And they were. But there's something back up on that verse a little bit. And what do you see in that verse? I'm, I'm teaching us how to be critical, not critical, but analytical of the text here. What does the text say? And verse 31, and when they had prayed, in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, the place in which they were gathered together was what? Shaken. Shaken. That word in the Greek means shaken. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That means just a vibration. It means that everything that could have toppled over, toppled over. You ever see these YouTube videos of like earthquakes from these um, office cams and like they did that in, in Japan when they, had these earth, when they had this major earthquake. And you could see the, the filing cabinets just like swaying back and forth and then tipping over and everything coming down. And there was nothing that was on top of each other. This is the kind of shaking that we see that is happening at this place. How does God answer that prayer for him to move in this situation? Here are the disciples. Here are the apostles. They've just been persecuted. God's on the move. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stress. I don't know how your week is going. I've talked to quite a, bit of, quite a bit of people this week, and it's been a challenging week. It really has. I don't know. Anybody here that has not had a challenging week? If not, then we welcome, to, <laughs> welcome to the human race. And so what, when we think about God moving, we're just saying, I don't know about God moving. I'm just trying to keep my life together. I'm just trying to keep the filing cabinet from going down. I'm trying to think of, trying to keep my finances on top of things and my marriage together. Not my marriage, but I'm just trying to keep my kids together. I'm trying to keep it all together. When they had prayed, when we sing these songs, we got to be careful when God answers those. when God, I surrender. I surrender. All make me. When we pray like that, what's going to happen? When we pray, God, I want to see your hand move in my life. God, when we say, God, I want to see your hand move in my marriage. We say, God, I want to see your hand move in my ministry. God, I don't feel like I'm being used by you. I feel like I'm gifted. I feel, like I'm, I feel like Paul, three years in the desert, yeah. sitting on a rock, just being taught by the Holy Spirit. And that can happen. When we pray those kind of prayers, what's God going to do before the filling of the Spirit, before all of these things, these five things happen later on in the chapter? There's a shaking. There's a shaking. And I, I love this. I never saw this before. What do you think? Is the, that is the cause, the shaking, the shaking. The shaking. That's the first thing I wanna I wanna say is how do we define a move of God? First there's a shaking. There is an incredible shaking. I think when we had Hurricane Harvey here, that was a shaking for our community for Houston. I mean the whole United States was looking at our our our, our city and our state. And there was definitely a testimony of some incredible churches doing some incredible things. People just opening their homes and just pouring out the love of Christ. That was a shaking. When we think of 9-11, the entire nation was shaken. Maybe you think about you can think about something that has happened in your life or in your marriage or in your personal life. Or maybe what's going on in your personal life now. Maybe there's a shaking going on where everything that you thought was together, everything that was immovable, is right now shaking. And when we look at the shaking, we have to remember this, that this is God on the move. Because in, Acts, in, in Exodus chapter 19... When God is descending on that mountain, Mount Sinai, there is the burning of fire. Did you ever read Exodus 19, what's going on? It's like, it's like a horror show. It's unbelievable. There's lightning. There's this huge cloud on the top of the mountain. There's lightning and thunder. And as the, as the Israelites are moving forward and drawing near to the mountain, what's happening? There's a trumpet blast that's getting louder and louder and louder. Can you imagine that? It's getting so loud. It's like a blast. And these people are like, it says that the, that the Israelites, that the Hebrews were trembling. They themselves were actually shaking. I don't know if you've been in a situation like that before. Personal failure? I don't know. Things that are shaking in your life. And they're shaking. And as they approach this mountain, God is speaking. Actually, historically, that mountain is very interesting because the Mount Sinai actually comes from the word sin. Not sin the way we use it in English but it's actually a mountain that was dedicated to the moon worship. And God is coming down. But this is what God would do. God would come down like he did in Egypt. He would come down to where demons were actually in control of things and were, 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 had established traditions and established cultures and religions, and God would come down and just shake that to pieces. The ten plagues of Egypt. Remember, each plague was addressing a particular demon of, of Egypt. I think that there are things that happen to our families, to our personal lives, and to our city and to our country. That God is addressing idols and demonic powers. And that's a message for another time. But God has to shake all of this. And in an earthquake, when there is shaking, everything is shaking. All the good stuff and all the bad stuff is shaking. And what do we see happening in a shaking? Well, the signature of God, and I've already said this, this is the second point, is that God is moving. And that a revival is is beginning. And when the shaking happens, what's the purpose of a shaking? Why is God shaking everything? Because God wants to show, God wants to show in your life, those things that you thought were immovable are actually movable. And number two, God wants to show you those things that are all moving, and there are some things that are not going to ever move. There are many examples of that. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of Hiroshima old black and white pictures. I don't know if you've read those. And you see like this mass devastation of where ground zero was. And you'll just see these like maybe one or two or three buildings, just the skeleton of the building. It's just amazing that they are still standing. When we think of things that can be shaken. When we think of earthquakes. We think of the uh, incredible things that can shake. I think that God wants to do what he wants to do when he is shaking everything in our life. He is addressing idols that we have that we have accepted in our life whether we wanted them or not. At first we were flirting with them, but then they idols, you can't flirt with an idol because the is not just the idol's not just happy with just taking a little bit, and then you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It doesn't stay in Vegas, it stays in your soul and has fallen you around. And that's why we need to be healed every week from by the word of God that heals us and that cleanses us and that purges our mind, and the, the idol when we is not happy just because that's what pride is. Pride is not happy with just winning the argument; it wants to dominate the argument. It wants to dominate the person, and it wants more and it wants more and that's more. That's why we have to be so diligent, so diligent of what we allow into our homes, what we are watching as a married couple. What are we watching on TV? These idols, they come into our life, and they begin to eat, and they begin to eat. God has to shake. Why does God shake things? Why is God shaking things? Because he wants to show, number one, that idols are not as strong as you think that they are, that strongholds are not as powerful as you think they are. Talk to someone who is struggling with an addiction of some kind, and they think, and I I know Mike could probably tell us many stories about, this with his with his ministry is that you talk to people and they're like you know what I'm I'm, I'm a slave I can never get over this thing I, I'm just dominated by this addiction in my life and then God comes in and he begins to shake and he begins to shake everything in that person's life and that idol begins to come down why there's no more money for the drugs there's no more there's no more resources for that enjoyment how about this when you're depressed when someone's struggling with something you know and and uh, netflix just doesn't do it anymore it just doesn't do it anymore or or whatever this thing was that i would run to in my life for some kind of consolation and for comfort maybe my even my comfort food or whatever that is this just doesn't do it anymore why because there's a shaking happening in my life that is so massive that is the only one thing that can do and that is the presence on the mount god has to burn it all up am i am i making sense here this morning do you understand what i'm saying is that when is that when something so traumatic happens in a person's life or so traumatic happens historically in the, in a country that no longer are we just going to be whistling dixie but we're going to be we're going to be like i i am i all my idols have fallen in the presence of the almighty god they've been all burned up have you ever been there have you been there where desperation was so incredible that facebook doesn't do it anymore calling up texting your best buddy They're not there. Sorry, I'm busy right now. And what what do you find? You find yourself all alone walking down the road. But you're not alone. You're not alone. And you can say, well, people did that to me. Or the government did that to me. Or this race did this to me. Or my family did this to me. And we could blame people. Okay? But the whole point is is that God wants to get you and I alone. Why? Because we're so squirmy. We're so squirrely. God's finger gets on us. And we're just like, we're just like. Ever meet somebody like that? You know, like, hey, you know, you start kind of getting to know them, and then they're just, it's, it's Dostoevsky in Russian. It's like they're out of there. They're gone. Why? Because, because God wants to get us alone. And guess what? That cycle will continue for 40 years in the desert. God's like, I just want to get you, Israel. I want to get you alone because I'm so... <coughs> I'm so in love with you, he, the, the Hebrew. I love Abraham. I love Joseph. I love you, and I want to, I just want to, I want to camp around you, and I want to feed you, and I want to speak to you, and I to love on you. And Israel's like, okay, man is not enough. We want meat. It's like, we are so, we are so, we're such weird creatures, aren't we? God wants to get us alone, and he has to prove to us all of our idols All of our lovers, it says in the Old Testament, are not there anymore. They're gone. Have you been there? Maybe you're just coming out of that. I don't know. I don't know what's happening in your lives today. Revival always begins with a defeating of all the idols in our lives. How many idols are there in the church today, in churches, or in the religious world, or even in our own personal life? How many idols are in American culture? I'm an American patriot. I love the United States. I lived overseas. And when you come back, you just come back with all this... You just come back with this fresh perspective on our nation. That This is an amazing nation. We are in an incredible country. God is using this country in such an amazing way. And God's bringing all these people into the country so that they can hear the gospel. Why? Because I don't know if we as a church are being obedient to the Great Commission. So God's got to bring them all here. But that's another topic. Okay? God has to take down every idol. And you know something? If we're flirting with idols and we're flirting with danger. I was at the, I was at the park... Yesterday, I go to the park every day with my son. He's at this stage where he's got a lot of energy. The park is just great. It's just great for burning energy. And I see all these other parents there with you know, kids, you know, burning energy. There's lots of burning energy. My son is interesting. He's, he kind of goes to the edges quick. Maybe that's the same with all kids, about two years older. Okay. <laughs> I'm, thank you. I'm, I'm comforted. Like, you know, he's going to go right to the boundaries, you know, like right to the boundaries. You know, he's just going to camp out there. We are just such interesting people because we go to the edge so quick. And you know what? God has to deal with these idols in an experiential way. He has to bring us to a place where everything's broken. We have nothing. It's like a power outage. We lost power a few weeks ago, a couple like two weeks ago, was it? We were like, we we're sitting in there and there's no electronics. There's no TV. There's no tech. There's no phone. Everything's just darkness and our and our Bibles. I'm thinking, okay guess what's that it's the the great it's a good moment we're having a great moment why because we can worship things and god says i don't want to i don't i'm not a sadistic god where i want to torture you i just need to subtract things out of your life because guess what and this is a big point here in the message is that we get so filled with spiritual junk food that we have no hunger for god we say god give me a hunger for you you know you ever pray that prayer i have many times god i don't feel like i have that hunger I want that passion for you, God. And what happens? Instead of God filling you with love, he starts subtracting things from our life at first because he's got to take all this stuff out. How many of you, my wife's an amazing cook. She's, I think she's here somewhere, but she's not. we can talk about her. She's, she's an amazing cook. And she's an, but if I eat junk food before I, before I come home to eat and I don't have an appetite, there's a problem. There's a problem there. I know Eduardo's wife cooks. Well, I know there's a lot of great cooks in this room. And you know something? When we are filled with junk food, we're not going to hunger for the real stuff. And God's got to subtract that. And he does that through a process of shaking. Here's the third thing, and the last thing I want to make here, the last point I want to make here, is that what is, the, what is the center? When we think about a move of God, what is the central point here? What is God trying to bring us to? Well, when our, when our idols have failed us, and they are silent, and they cannot comfort us. God takes us out of a theoretical, mystical understanding of what Christianity is, and he brings us to a person. Okay, when we look at Acts chapter 2, we read about wind, we read about fire, we, we read about tongues, we read about incredible, incredible, incredible things that are happening to, in the church. It is very easy for us, if we don't know the person of Jesus Christ, to get into this mystical form of Christianity where it's all about the wind and the show and there's no person in the room. Am I making sense here? God wants to drill down and this is why, you know what? This is not going to be a popular message in Christianity. I, it's just not. People are I like shows. I mean, you know, I'm on the ENNEAGRAM, I'm a, I'm a 3 and I like I like nice looking thing. I like I like things that look good, you know. It's there is no show at the cross. You're going to see you're going to see a crucified man, and you're going to see love that does not fail when it's forsaken. Why? Because there's a shaking. And every time God moves, there's an earthquake. You remember at the cross when Jesus gives up his spirit, he says, God, into my, and he, he had to die by faith, by the way. He had to say, Lord, I, comm- I give unto you my spirit. Like if the father had forsaken him. And he had to die by faith, like, okay, God, I'm dying right now, and you're, you have turned your face from me. You have forsaken me, and that's an eternal moment. And some commentators say that that moment when Jesus is dying, it was not just five minutes of suffering or five minutes of forsaking. It was an eternal moment, and he actually felt in an eternal way that eternal forsaking of God that a person would experience when they go to hell. Jesus experienced that forsaking, though He never ceased to be God. Just a, that's a mystery, and I can't, I can't figure that out. But as Jesus died, it says that the earth the earth began to quake, that the 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 veil tore in the tabernacle between the holiest of holies and the court of the Gentiles, and we see our, we see the graves open up, and, and nobody preaches on. I want to preach on this in Matthew twenty seven. People are walking around out of graves. That's a wild verse, isn't it? But there's an, amazing, there's an amazing explanation, there's amazing teaching about that. And the earthquake happens when earthquakes happen in your life. God is trying to remove the mystical, the theoretical, and the show out of our life. And he wants to bring into us, what, cynicism? No. Usually when people hit the age 40 or whatever... Life gets cynical. Like, you, know, you look at young people and you're saying, Oh, you know, I used to be so happy and so like positive about life. And then I really began to understand what this world really is about. You know something? Can we age and keep our sweet waters? And can we walk by faith in an old age? I think we can. And we can only do that because this kind of shaking does not lead us to cynicism. It leads us to a person. You know... Catholicism in Central America and in South America is different than Catholicism in Europe. Catholicism in Europe is very intellectual, very psychological, very secular. but Catholicism in Central America and South America is very mystical. It's very, there's a lot of superstition going on. And if we're not careful, that can get into our Christianity, and we become mystical instead of becoming astounded by a person. And this is the last point I want to make, and this is a very important point. Is that when we meet him, when we meet Jesus Christ, when we see him face to face, when the idols are on their faces, like the the idol of Baal fell on its face in the presence of God during Gideon's time. When our idols are not there, when our Facebook messenger is not lighting up like we want it to, when we're having a hard time, when the phone calls are not being returned by somebody that we trust in. And when when the drugs or whatever we run to is not working anymore, Jesus is there. Jesus is there, and he's going to talk to you, and we're going to have a face-to-face, man-to-man conversation. And we need that in our life. We need that maturity. We need that because the shaking is the first sign of a move of God. And guess what? Those things that we thought that could never be shaken in my life are now shaken. Those, those strongholds are gone, and they have been, they've been moved. And those things that I thought that never could be shaken— I mean, those things that I thought could be shaken are actually not shaken. One thing about marriage that's really interesting, or friendship, or parent raising kids, is that, is that your, your marriage, your friendship, your relationships are going to go through some crazy stuff. Just, just wait for it. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it's coming, man. It's on its way. I want to encourage you guys. We're going to leave church today. It's like, wow, what's going to happen to me? I hear a train coming down the tracks. I feel like I'm going to get a hit, you know? And you know something? What came out of the Garden of Eden? There's only one thing that survived the Garden of Eden. What was that? A marriage. A married couple came out of the Garden of Eden. You know, your marriage can handle a lot more than you think it can. It it can. Why? Because God is in the middle of it. You think your marriage is going to blow up because something happened? I think two people could look at each other and say, it's a miracle that we're still together. But, yeah, it's God. It's, It's God in the middle of you, two because God put you together. I just want to end with this. After the shaking happens, what happens? There's the filling of the Spirit. When I was reading this this week and I was meditating on it, this came, to, this came to me in a brand new way. What is the filling of the Holy Spirit? It means that I've been emptied from all of the spiritual junk food. I've had a cleanse. I've been, I've been flushed. All of my idols have been, or have been defeated. All of my issues have been addressed. And everything that I thought was stable in my life has been addressed. And guess what? I am empty now. But I'm empty in a special way. I'm not empty like in an Eastern mystic way where I've emptied myself. I'm emptied like in Kenosis where it says in Philippians chapter 2, I'm empty from all the things in this world. And this happens in stages in our life, and it happens in seasons. And what, what fills that emptiness? That's the Holy Spirit. He comes in. Holy Spirit comes in. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. What's the first thing that the Holy Spirit says when he comes into the room? I think it's the same words that Jesus, that Jesus said in John 20. Peace be unto you. You have peace with God. Are you empty today? I don't know. I had quite an interesting week. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Are you, are, you, are you empty? I could say I am. But guess what? When we, come to our empty, when we come with our emptiness, when we come with our empty vessel, and we just say, God, I'm empty. I am so empty. I just need to be filled with something. And I can't fill it with the stuff I've been filling it with. I can't fill it with the candy of the world. I can't fill it with the stimulations of the world. Only you can satisfy me. And you know something? That's the point of our Christianity, is that when we are filled and the cup begins to overflow, that overflow of the cup that David talks about, my cup is overflowing, that's what we call ministry. That's what we call investment. That's what we call discipleship. That's what we call loving on our neighbor. And when that happens... We see five things that happen. We see unity, one of heart and one soul in the church. When does unity come in the church? Not by us saying, hey, be one. It happens when each one of us in this room takes up our cross daily, and we're broken, and we're poured out. We're being poured out from vessel to vessel. We come together, or we're having a meeting during the week at house church, or having a coffee with somebody, and there's a unity there. Why? Because they're walking with God. I'm walking with God, and we got something to talk about. Number two, generosity. We see that, we see that no one claimed what they had as their own. We see then the apostles were preaching with great power. Great power can't happen until there's great brokenness in our life. And great grace was upon them all. I love that great grace. It's one of the reasons why we call this ever grace. I just love grace. I'm just, I love that theology of grace. I love what grace does to our life. I love that it's unmerited, favorite. I love that it's something that we could never achieve Tim Keller said it this way. Do you want to experience the grace of God? All you need is need. <laughs> all you need is an empty cup. Great grace was upon them all. Why? Because there was a shaking in their life. And then fifthly, there was no neediness. Now, it says that there was no need, that no one suffered need among them. But I think there's another way we could read that verse. There's always going to be need in our lives. I don't know if that was what that verse is saying. I think it's saying this, that though I have need, I am not needy. Does that make sense? I'm not coming to people like, hey, you're my source, I need you. And then there's this soulish cleavage going on, and it's just exhausting. I mean, it's exhausting, isn't it? It means that I am in need, I'm in great need, but I am filled with something that is invisible. And out of my need, like I can be the woman like, that gave the two mites out of my need. I can give something to somebody. When you just don't feel like it, and you're just showing up, and you're showing up by faith, and you're like, I don't know how it's going to work, and I'm here, I'm, I'm needy. But I, I'm looking at Jesus to be my, because you know what, if you put your hope in a man or a pastor or a personality or something, that could change. And it probably will change what we need to do. Our greatest need is God. And our greatest need is the fellowship of God. So if the shake is, shaking is happening in your life, just do this. Fall to your, fall to your knees. Uh, humble yourself before the Lord. Let God empty you of all your idols. And it may take some time, but let God do it and say, yes, God, I know what you're doing. Or maybe I don't know what you're doing and I'm going to trust you. And let's just bow our heads right now as we, as we close. Heavenly Father, <coughs> maybe there's people here today, maybe there are people that we know <clears throat> that have a great shaking going on in their life or have been through a great shaking. But we know that that's the signature of your move that's the signature of revival revival always has happened with a great shaking and then also great repentance when there's a time of just confession of sin and acknowledgement of sin and acknowledgement of idols and when that repentance happened there was move of god there was the filling lord we look at the church and we say we want more generosity we want more power we look at the church and we say we want more unity we want more of all of these things, but that can only happen when there's a great shaking. And when that shaking happens, Lord, that we would be reminded and quickened to say, Yes, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. And if you're here this morning. Hey, AKA. If you're here this morning and you have not ever received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, just take a moment and say, Lord Jesus, I would like, I would want, I really want you in my life. I want you to come into my life and forgive me of all of my sins. Lord, I want you to come in and just cleanse me. Make me a new creation. Let's just stand together and close in a worship song.